0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to
1: allthew.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Rundri and Bunurong country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic continues to be the world's leading cause of death. The pandemic has intensified existing systemic inequality. Who has borne the costs of the pandemic and the system's failures? Can we imagine a different response to the pandemic from below? On March 19, there was a rally in Melbourne at the State Library fighting for public health and workplace safety. First, we hear from co-chairs Sarah Hathaway and Giselle Hannah, introducing the rally and then the speakers.
2: My name's Sarah Hathaway. I'm a lead organiser with VARPA, which is the Victorian Allied Health Professionals Association. We represent allied health professionals across our public health system, in the private sector and in standalone community health. So I'm proud to be here representing our members today. Why are we here? Well, this is a rally, rally to fight for public health and workplace safety. And at the time we made the decision to have this rally and we were putting our demands together, it was very clear what the agenda from the federal government was and still is, that they were using COVID to undermine occupational health and safety in the workplace.
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Giselle. I am... One of the co-conveners of Workers' Solidarity, and we are one of the groups that initiated today's rally. And we did that for all the reasons that Sarah said, but also in addition, we realised and noticed that the right wing was exploiting this pandemic and using it as an opportunity to cohere their forces and also win over a bunch of people that are really disenfranchised and off with the government's response to the pandemic. The over-policing of not just communities and vulnerable people, which unfortunately we've come to expect, but the over-policing of everybody, and the over-policing of protests, the restrictions on our right to move, restrictions on our right to basically get it, earn our living by going to work, and nothing was put in place when we were all ordered to stay home. There was no living income for people. There was no medical support for people trapped in their homes. There was no DV support for women and children trapped in their homes during the pandemic. So while the restrictions may have been necessary, a whole bunch of people got left behind. We'll start with our first speaker, Celeste Little. She's a First Nations Unionist with the National Tertiary Education Union, and she's a Greens candidate for COOPER.
4: Hi, everyone. Look, before I begin, I too wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands in which we meet, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I identify myself as an Arundel woman whose traditional lands are Mbantua or Alice Springs, and then east and southeast are there. Finally, I want to acknowledge that we are standing on stolen lands, that the Wurundjeri people and the Kulin Nation more broadly have never ceded their sovereignty. And as a visitor on these lands, I commit to walking alongside them in their struggle for justice. I think a lot of people here are standing or sitting today um, a bit exhausted, a bit broken, and in the process of rebuilding our lives after a long, hard couple of years. Some of us may be re-socialising after a long period of being isolated, working in our homes. Some of us may be restarting work, having lost jobs during the various lockdowns. Some of us may be recovering from about a COVID itself. Yet here we are, standing together, trying to right some of society's ills. And for that, I commend you all. I work as the national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organiser of the National Tertiary Education Union. And I can tell you from a higher education perspective that the past two years have been horrible. Across the country, about a fifth of the higher education workers lost their jobs during the pandemic after the government thrice denied university staff access to the JobKeeper allowance. Many of these workers were casually employed... Or on short fixed term contracts. And when the international student market collapsed, that universities were so reliant on to supplement their funding, the workers were just simply allowed to go. Of course, with the denial of JobKeeper allowance to universities and the cuts to funding under the federal government's Jobs Ready package that preceded it. It would be easy to just blame the federal coalition for leaving universities so vulnerable at a time when they should have been seen as crucial. Let us not forget that under the Gillard government, $2.1 billion was slashed from the university sector, and that was following years of attacks under the Howard government and the Keatings and Dawkins um, neoliberalisation of the sector instead of being knowledge institutions where people could access quality education and training regardless of their socioeconomic background, race, gender or disability status, for decades, Um, for decades, universities have been under attack by government and that's under COVID, just hemorrhaged a fifth of their staff. This is an abomination. We cannot forget for one second who, overall, bore the brunt of the pandemic and all the social inequities that came with it, and that, friends, was workers. Indeed, as many people were losing their jobs and joining the queues at food banks across the country, people like Harvey Norman, Twiggy Forrest, and Gina Reinhart just got richer and richer. The bosses swam in their banknotes whilst many went hungry. Wealthy shareholders chucked their spare change into pharmaceutical companies and delivery companies and then reaped their returns, and the rest of us grew more and more disheartened. Yet whilst they were getting richer and others were losing their jobs, other people, generally some of our most insecure workers out there, were being forced to work sick or without protective gear or on dodgy instructions delivered via WhatsApp. I'm talking here about the many meat workers in factories where COVID spread like wildfire. or the aged care workers who are doing back-to-back shifts to different nursing homes to devastating effect. All the private security workers charged with managing our entire state hotel quarantine program. Victims of outsourced labour with inadequate training. Time and time again, I saw the state government try and point the finger at those being selfish and not following the rules when in actual fact COVID was a workplace health and safety crisis that was going on impacting some of our most vulnerable workers. Women on the line. I think most of us know healthcare workers have been stretched to the max with nurses doing long hours in heavy protective gear and doctors at their wit's end. I wanted to acknowledge just how hard and trying it must have been for all those working in our hospitals and in our medical centres, bearing the brunt of a public health crisis, particularly as our public sector has been continuously underfunded. I did want to bring something up, though. Just the other day, public mental health workers were having to take industrial action with their union... For two years they have been bargaining for a fair agreement and this state government has continuously denied to offer them a proper deal. As so many in our community struggled with their mental health during lockdowns, the very workers who are assisting them were being denied a fair deal on paying conditions. It's simply extraordinary. And so in solidarity with the state public health workers, I call on this government to return to the table in good faith and negotiate a fair deal. There is one final thing that I, as a social commentator and civil rights activist, wishes to comment on, and that's what I mentioned earlier. The idea that the government kept perpetuating, that this virus was down to irresponsible people holding parties and not following the rules, and was not a crisis unfolding in our workplace. With this very argument, the government set about increasing powers of police to extraordinary levels while diminishing the the rights of people. I'm not saying here that some rules were not necessary, as I believe each of us as a member of the community has the obligation to try and safeguard others who are at serious risk from dying from infection. I will reiterate, though, what I've said countless times online, in articles and so forth. The rules such as the curfew and limits on us being outdoors in fresh air, both of which were found to have no public health benefit whatsoever, were severe overreaches. I've often stated that it was an extraordinary situation to find ourselves in back when we gathered for the Black Lives Matter rally in 2020. That by wearing masks at the rally, due to previous government legislation, we were simultaneously breaking the law whilst adhering to it. I note that despite the organisers' efforts to ensure that the rally was COVID-safe and adhering to the government directions, all of the organisers received fines. I additionally found it absurd that when protesters who gathered in cars and outdoors socially distanced to protest the disgraceful incarceration of medivac refugees in the Mantra Hotel in Preston were also hit with fines. Neither of these groups were endangering people. Indeed, they were actually attempting to save lives. Yet both of these were deemed criminal violations. I really wish more in our society would have had alarm bells going off about that. Yet it did not surprise me one iota when data started coming back on who had received fines. that it was Aboriginal people and African Australians um, who were well overrepresented in the statistics. Nice. Given Aboriginal people are also the mas- most incarcerated people in the world, and members of the African diaspora ex- experience enhanced aggression in Australia's white supremacist society. I find it incredibly hard to buy the argument that these groups were simply just breaking the rules more often, particularly given fines disproportionately also um, featured in lower SES communities. And so given the gross human rights abuse that was the state government's public housing tower lockdowns, I call on the government to cancel all these fines immediately. To wind up, I simply want to say the following. When it comes to the pandemic, I feel that the government, state and federal, have missed many opportunities. They missed the opportunity to increase the social safety net so those living on pensions could actually survive properly and things such as public health and public education did not cave in upon themselves. I believe that they missed the opportunity to install proper workplace laws to ensure people had stable employment the appropriate equipment they needed to stay healthy, and the surety to take leave if they were unwell. I believe governments missed the opportunity to build communities and work together with various marginalised groups to ensure people were educated and working in ways that, that provided appropriate support to those groups. Finally, I feel that they failed to invest in public health, public pharmaceuticals, and public quarantine facilities all of which are sorely needed. And that's why I stand here today saying we need change. We need community-led and worker-led initiatives to recover from this pandemic. We need the immediate reduction of policing powers, a reduction of spending on prisons and assault weaponry, and the reversal of all fines, and a reinvestment in public health, public education, and social support services. We need rich people to actually pay some bloody taxes and stop profiteering off the exploitation of others' labour. And we need the governments to start listening to us now. The only thing that we have truly seen grow during this pandemic are social inequities, and we've had enough. Thank you.
1: You just heard from Unionist and Greens candidate for Cooper, Celeste Little. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're hearing from a protest fighting for public health and workplace safety. We pick it up from co-chair Sarah Hathaway, introducing the next speaker.
2: Our next speaker is Morty Osborne. She's been a frontline retail worker. And she's a member of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Thanks so much, Morty.
0: My name is Morty. I'm a retail worker, unionist, and member of Radical Women. I stand here before you today to say that every worker is entitled to having their health protected and their safety guaranteed in the workplace. Workers under the age of 25 account for approximately 40% of the workforce. We are a workforce that is gender-diverse and multiracial. Throughout the pandemic, I worked for JB Hi-Fi, a multi-million dollar company that has turned over profit tenfold over the last two years. During the initial lockdown that hit us back in March of 2020, the then-CEO of the company announced that JB Hi-Fi was an essential service and that it wouldn't be closing its doors to the public. As the virus continued to rage, many of my co-workers were scared. We were scared for our health, our family's health, and we were terrified of contracting the the virus at work. Upon announcing that we were remaining open, with no PPE, no masks, no hand sanitizer, no cleaning products in sight, we contacted our union, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union to organize a petition of demands around health and safety. We were not an essential service, and the stores had to be closed to protect the health and safety of staff who worked there. The petition was signed over, by over 1,000 JB Hi-Fi workers, and the campaign was successful in not only winning several of its demands, including PPE, masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, and cleaning products bought on site, But also for drawing fellow JB Hi-Fi workers who had been abandoned by the bosses into the union. It showed us that there is strength in numbers and that we overworked, underpaid minimum wage workers have the power to take on a multi-million dollar company whose primary, (laughs) whose primary concern is turning over profit as opposed to looking out for the staff who actually make their money for them. The treatment of retail and hospitality staff over the course of this pandemic has been disgusting. We have seen victims of far right violence just for doing our job. At one of the retail venues I work at, we had someone send us Facebook messages threatening arson, all because we were complying with government regulation to have check in QR codes. They think it is acceptable to physically assault and throw Dimmick staff members down escalators only a few blocks from where we gather here today. Shame! It is bad enough that we are subjected to wage theft and abuse from our bosses. Now we have to also fight off a dangerous movement that beats up and terrorises workers in the name of false freedom. Some of them are gathering right down the road as we speak. If there is anything this pandemic has shown us, it is the utter failures of capitalism. Our state and federal government's response to the COVID-19 crisis has reflected this. Judging from the increase of case numbers and the fatalities from the virus, our politicians seem to care more about our productivity than our health. In fact, they've recently cut paid pandemic sick leave to casual workers, meaning that if we become sick with COVID, we have no financial support for the duration of time that we are unwell. Do they honestly want us to return to work sick with an airborne virus that becomes seven times infectious with more variants? The problems of the casualised workforce is another crisis that the pandemic has, has exposed. Millions of workers were left unemployed and jobless at the beginning of the pandemic, where, on, where their only source of income became the JobKeeper and JobSeeker payments. Those payments were fundamental in keeping workers' lives afloat during a time where everything was so uncertain. Now the federal government has scrapped the pandemics and lowered Centrelink payments to what they were before the pandemic. It is not enough money for people to survive on. Public money, workers' taxes, should be going towards things like increasing Centrelink payments, not huge subsidies to profiteers or more policing. We should demand that everybody have a livable income permanently. We must keep organising hard around workplace safety, around wages, around our rights to strike and to bring in for a better world beyond this pandemic. We have the power to do this. We saw what happened when the tidal wave that was Omicron hit our shores early this year. Despite not living under a lockdown, entire workplaces were shut down and the supply chain market nearly collapsed. This was because workers all got sick and could not work. It showed us the profit economy cannot function without us. Let's use this power. Demand free access to PPE in all workplaces. Pandemic sick leave on full pay. The end to casualisation. Massive active increases in our wages, and a guaranteed livable income for all. How about free early education and child care? Not for a month, but for good. Yeah. Let's demand a publicly owned and run vaccine facilities and fully funded state-of-the-art public health care system controlled by health workers. Yeah. We want a better humane system that addresses the needs of us who are exploited and abused. And we need to fight for it. Yeah. Thank you. Women's on <laughs> oh, women on
2: the line. Women on the line. Women on the line. Thank you, Maudie. Our next speaker
3: is Nita Okoko, who actually can't be with us today. She's a public health worker and unionist who migrated from Kenya. She's currently working in a COVID contact centre and is a member of the community and public sector union. Nita, who knew that she wasn't able to come today, provided her speech, and I'm gonna read it out on her behalf. Nita says, the COVID pandemic has exposed fractures in the management of the health workforce globally. From the beginning of the pandemic, health workers and their families have been greatly affected worldwide. Those at the front lines providing care have faced extreme workload. In my country, Kenya, multiple back-to-back shifts, overtime and huge patient loads have become the norm. And indeed, this is the case in many countries, including Australia. Health workers have also faced significant trauma with many suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder after witnessing so much death and devastation firsthand. I personally know very many health workers who are unable to walk into a hospital anymore. They are now seeking employment in other sectors because they cannot cope with the gruelling work conditions and lack of support that they've received during the pandemic. Healthcare workers have also been exposed to COVID infection, which have put them, along with their families, at the risk of death and debilitation. Indeed, too many health workers have already been lost to COVID. So it's not surprising then that many health workers are now leaving their job. They're leaving their livelihoods and passions behind. This is a last resort for many of them. This trajectory of untenable work conditions is continuing with healthcare workers being susceptible to multiple reinfections with COVID. Now here in Australia, healthcare workers are currently being expected to work while they are close contacts. This completely defeats the logic of controlling COVID while devaluing the well-being of frontline workers and their families. The COVID pandemic has exposed fractures in the public health systems worldwide, and certainly here too in Australia. Public health systems have been fragmented and underfunded for decades, and healthcare has been turned into a private good, provided by private corporations for mega profits and accessible only to the rich. We, the public, pay for vaccines and health research through our taxes, only to have to buy it back from corporations like pharmaceutical companies and private hospitals. Why are we paying twice for the right to health? Right. Efforts to remedy these gaps in light of the COVID pandemic have not gone far enough. As public health advocates and unionists, our demands are as follows. One, free, full vaccination, including boosters of the frontline health workforce must be provided globally. This includes all healthcare workers, aged care workers, disability workers and carers. Pharmaceutical companies must stop profiteering from the vaccines and rich countries like Australia must not hoard vaccines at the expense of low-income countries. Only one in 10 people have received a single dose of the vaccine in Africa, for example. While in other countries, four doses have become routine. This vaccine hoarding will only encourage the rise of new COVID variants, which know no borders. Vaccine manufacturing companies must be publicly owned and run by the people for the people. The research that has gone into making the COVID vaccine must not be patented, but rather be shared for the sake of all workers worldwide. Number two. Governments worldwide must continue COVID control measures to protect those most at risk, as well as the more vulnerable. This must include paid pandemic leave for the quarantine of health workers who have been exposed to COVID. We, as unionists, demand the provision of safe working conditions, including PPE and reasonable working hours, with sufficient staffing and sufficient breaks and paid leave. Job security for health workers must be guaranteed. Next, free and comprehensive mental health support must be provided for health workers working at the coalface of the pandemic, many of whom are experiencing burnout and post-traumatic stress disorder over the course of the last two years. And this is still ongoing. And finally, as unionists, we demand that healthcare and COVID vaccines be publicly owned and run by the workers whose research and labour provide them. Healthcare must be publicly funded and accessible to all. We need global solutions to solve this global problem.
1: That was Giselle Hannah reading the words of public health worker and member of the community and public sector union, Nida Okoko. And that's all for this week. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send us an email at at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 8377. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And make sure to subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting app. I'm Iris Lee, tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.